0: Good morning, everyone. Happy Palm Sunday, beginning of Holy Week, where we see Jesus coming into Jerusalem as the Passover Lamb of God, who will take away the sins of the world. And thank God he'll take away our sins as well. He will later this week celebrate the Last Supper, and then... He will be betrayed and tried, condemned, tortured, and nailed to the cross. And then on the third day, in the tomb, resurrected by God's power. This is God's story, isn't it? Let's let's try to put aside this morning our little stories and focus on God's big story, particularly this day, the story of the triumphal entry of Christ. I want to invite you to the Thursday and Friday night services. These are powerful services. Very short, just an hour. But I think it's a way that we can honor the Lord and say, Lord, we, we honor your story. We honor your intervention in the world, your Lordship. And so maybe you haven't come for a while or... Um, or never attended, but let me just exhort you to come uh, and honor the Lord in this way and have your faith deepened. Before we look at the triumphal entry, I want to remind us and review some of the rich symbolism in the account that we're about to read. Of course, there's the donkey, which represents peace and humility and rest, The donkey is in contrast to the war horse of a conquering general or emperor coming into town. The disciples spread their garments out of respect and submission and even a sense of identity, that they were laying their identity down and would receive white robes of righteousness in the future. Then we have the palm branches, signs of victory and triumph and eternity. And then the people shouted, Hosanna, which means praise him with the highest praise possible, as well as a simple save us, save us. Uh, Someone has said that every prayer boils down to one word, amen, help And if you're really complex, you might add a couple words, help me now. (laughs) That's something of what was going on that day. And then one we don't think of a whole lot are the stones. Uh, Jesus said, if I tell my disciples to be quiet, even the stones will cry out. You remember that? And uh, that is referenced in the future scriptures or the scriptures that came After this week, where we are compared to living stones being built into a house uh, by God, Jesus is called the rock of offense over which people stumble. And um, uh, there's one other thing there, Uh, living stones. Ah, Anyway, I forgot, oh yeah, creation, creation talks about, you know, the The mountains and the fields shall break forth and clap their hands. The trees will clap their hands with with joy. And then there's the triumphal entry itself. A conquering king entering a city with captives and spoil in their wake. So let's read the account. I'm going to use Luke's account. But I want you to remember that the triumphal entry is so important that it is in all four of the Gospels. It's recorded, but we're going to look at Luke. Again, this is God's big story. So turn to Luke 19 with me, starting in verse 28. Luke 19, starting in verse 28. And after he had said these things, he was going on ahead, ascending to Jerusalem. And it came about that when he approached Bethpage and Bethany near the mount that is called Olivet, he sent two of his disciples, saying, Go into the village opposite you, in which, as you enter, you will find a colt tied on which no one yet has ever sat. Untie it and bring it here. And if anyone asks you, Why are you untying it? Thus you shall speak. The Lord has need of it. And those who were sent went away and found it just as he had told them. And as they were untying the colt, indeed its owners said to them, Why are you untying the colt? And they said, The Lord has need of it. And they brought it to Jesus, and they threw their garments on the colt and put Jesus on it. And as he was going, they were spreading their garments in the road. And as he was now approaching near the descent... Of the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of the disciples began to praise God joyfully with a loud voice for all the miracles which they had seen, saying, Hosanna, blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord, peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees in the multitude said to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. And he answered and said, I tell you, if these became silent, the very stones will cry out. And as he approached, he saw the city, and he wept over it, saying, If you had known this day, even you, the things which make for peace, but now they have been hidden from your eyes. For the days shall come upon you when your enemies will throw up a bank before you and surround you and hem you in on every side and will level you to the ground and your children within you, and they will not leave you, In you one stone upon another because you did not recognize the time of your visitation father we ask that you would anoint this word we don't want to just hear from Jim Grinnell we want to hear your story Lord through your eyes we pray for a transcendent moment where we would go beyond the earth the things of earth and see this great event as you see it lord enlighten our minds and our hearts in jesus name amen, amen. so i want to begin with a question have you ever had a moment in time when something inside you shifted and you realized that you were experiencing heaven as well as your earthly life. In other words, it was a moment when you had one foot on the earth and one foot in the divine, one foot in heaven. uh, I'd like to give you several examples with the help of some visual slides, but the first one I want to talk about is And many of us have had this experience. It's a rainy and dreary day, and um, you are down in the dumps, perhaps, and you have somewhere to travel. And so you get on a plane, and the plane takes off, and you're looking out the window, and here's what you see as you pass through the clouds. How many have had that experience? And you just realize, you know, my mood really doesn't matter. Uh, There are things in this world that are so huge and so divine and so supernatural. Maybe you've had a transcendent moment when you've been somewhere beautiful in creation. Uh, A high mountain lake, for example. Mountains, the woods, canoeing. Maybe it's been when you've experienced a creature that God has created isn't this an amazing picture oh my I took that when no I'm just (laughs) (laughs) maybe maybe God came to you when you were in prayer And he just filled the room. And he just filled you. And you knew everything was going to be all right. But just the power of his presence just was overwhelming. I know many of you have had these experiences. Maybe you have been going through, had been going through a dark time, a cold time of the soul. And then. Somehow, God sent you a lighthouse of guidance and warmth and you sensed, uh, He's with me. He's with me. Maybe you had a transcendent moment in deep grief where the comfort of the Holy Spirit came to you. Maybe someone, a loved one, uh, went on to be with the Lord and yet you just felt something so deep and so profound that you knew you had one foot in heaven. Many, many preachers uh, feel this when they're preaching a funeral. Um, I remember preaching a particularly difficult funeral where, where a, a 12-year-old uh, had been caught in a trunk of a car in the heat of summer. And passed away. And I was asked to speak at his funeral. And it was just, um, God filled my mouth. It was powerful. Several kids came to the Lord that morning. And um, it was all God. It was all God. How about when you were baptized? Look at the face of this baptizer He's so earnest, so intense. uh, And the man is dying to sin and being raised to newness of life. I love this picture because it reminds me of Heather. Uh, I had the privilege of going and videotaping Heather in her classroom at Metro several years ago when she was teaching music. And when you see someone operating in their gifting, Uh, it it can transport you like that. It just becomes a sacred... You realize you're witnessing a sacred thing. Look at the face of that little girl in the middle. I'll tell you what. She is in heaven right there. Hallelujah. Doing what you were born to do. And then, childbirth. And that baby is placed on the mother's chest that she's been waiting so long for and the pain is over and a new kind of pain has begun. No, i kidding. <laughs> yes. If we look closely at the triumphal entry, we see this kind of a moment where heaven is being opened, a veil is being pulled back and we're seeing... God's big story. And so this morning we're going to see that at the triumphal entry, Jesus pulled out all the stops. Uh, Prophecy was being fulfilled. A foretaste of heaven was being experienced. The only Son of God openly declaring himself King of kings and Lord of lords. We're going to see that the Lamb of God was being offered for sin. The nature of God's kingdom was being demonstrated. A witness of the unstoppable plan of God was manifested and a vision of the broken heart of our Lord over those who reject him. So let's take them one at a time. First, with the veil pulled back, let's look at prophecy being fulfilled. Uh, Matthew was the gospel writer who was most specific about prophecy, and that makes sense because he was writing to Jewish readers, and he wanted them to know without a doubt that Jesus is the Christ. And so I want to highlight a couple verses out of the triumphal entry account in Matthew. The first is verse 9. Um, this says this, the multitudes going before him and those who followed after were crying out saying, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. This verse is from Psalm 118. It's a Messianic Psalm that the Jews knew and they recited it from memory, uh, from childhood into adulthood, on every annual Passover celebration. These words were spoken or sung, and by shouting these words, the people were proclaiming on that day, we acknowledge that you are the Christ of God, the Messiah, sent by God to set us free. Save us. And then in verse 5, it says this, Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you. And how is he coming? He's coming gentle and mounted on a donkey, even on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. And so let's. this is from uh, Zechariah 9.9. 9, and so let's take a look at that passage, just one verse. It says this, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout in triumph, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. He is just and endowed with salvation, humble and mounted on a donkey, even on a colt, the foal of a donkey. So see how this is fulfilling Zechariah 9.9. Jesus is coming to Israel in Jerusalem. He is king and messiah the christ he is just righteous without sin he is endowed with possesses and brings salvation and he's mounted on a young male donkey the key point here is that prophecy was being fulfilled and the multitudes knew it they knew it or at least sensed something supernatural was happening. Second, there was a foretaste of heaven in the future being revealed as well. I want to turn now to um, Revelation 7, verse 9. Revelation 7, verse 9, 10, and 11. After these things I looked, and behold, a great multitude which no one could count, from every nation and all tribes and peoples and tongues, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes and palm branches were in their hands. And they cry out with a loud voice, saying, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four creatures and they fell on their faces before the throne and worshipped God. So some of the same symbols are here, aren't they? The palm branches, the lamb who was slain, um, the robes of righteousness and salvation belonging to Jesus Christ. Only this time... The great multitude is made up of every tribe, every tongue, every nation. A multitude too great to count, the scriptures say. So while the Jews at the triumphal entry, you know this, thought that Jesus was going to deliver them from the Roman oppressors, this great throng in Revelation displays God's true intentions to set our hearts free from sin and death, and create a people for Himself. Amen? Amen? In the triumphal entry, we see a picture, a foretaste of heaven in the future where every tongue and tribe and nation will cry out with a loud voice, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Oh, let's let the veil be pulled back And we will see even more. I want to linger on this next point a little bit. And that is that Jesus, the Son of God, is openly declaring himself to be the Christ. King of kings and Lord of lords. But up until this time, Jesus had kept his true identity, to coin a phrase from our culture today, on the down low. He did this in several different situations. He did it when he was pushed too early to go public as the Messiah. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to uh, John chapter 7, uh, verse 3. John 7, verse 3. His brothers said to him, this was, this was some time before in his earlier ministry, his brothers said to him, depart from here and go into Judea that your disciples also may behold your works which you are doing. For no one does anything in secret when he himself seeks to be known publicly. If you do these things, show yourself to the world. So they were pushing him to go up to the Feast of Booths and let himself be known as the Messiah. But Jesus said to them, my time is not yet at hand. But your time is always opportune. Having said these things to them, he stayed in Galilee. But when his brothers had gone up to the feast, he himself put on a hoodie and went up in secret. When he healed people, He often said to them, don't tell anyone. Or don't tell anyone, go show yourself to the priest to fulfill the law, but keep it quiet. When he was identified as the Christ, you remember when he asked his disciples, who do do men say that I am? And they say various answers, and then Peter says, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus said, You are right, and upon you, you know this, and you, I will build my church. But then he said, "Don't tell anyone." And after the transfiguration, if ever there was a um, transcendent moment, it was the transfiguration, where Jesus was on the on the mountain. Uh, uh, Some of the prophets come and talk to him. He's transformed into uh, with a robe of pure white, the disciples are dumbfounded, so they don't know what to say, but they want to say something, uh, so they offer to build booths and so forth. But when he was coming down from the mountain, the scriptures say he gave strict orders that they were to tell no one what they saw. You know, it suddenly dawned on me in studying this week that up until the uh, triumphal entry Jesus probably could have uh, withdrawn and gone into the hills, found a cave, and disappeared into the pages of history. But the triumphal entry was the moment, it was the event, where there was no turning back. Do you remember the scripture said, he set his face like flint for Jerusalem. And... uh, He's not—he's not trying to hide out anymore. Um, for the first time, he called himself Lord instead of the Son of Man. When his disciples—when he told the disciples to go get the donkey, he said, uh, "Tell the owners the Lord has need of it." He usually called himself what? Remember, the Son of Man. But here, for the first time, he says, the Lord has need of it. And so that's what, uh, this is supposed to represent Peter. I don't know if Peter was the one who went and got the donkey, but uh, that's what the disciple who got the donkey said, is uh, the Lord has need of it, and the donkey was released To use another expression that I'm using in the title of this message, Jesus was pulling out all the stops on his true identity. Do you know where that phrase comes from, that expression? It comes from the world of pipe organs. Look at this pipe organ and all the knobs on it. And imagine that all the knobs pulled out make all those pipes uh, resound in all their strength and glory. Many of you went to ORU, and you remember that there's, in the chapel, there is a huge pipe organ. And we never heard from it, as a student there, I never heard from it, until one day uh, there was a, a young man sitting up there. You could barely see him. And they told us, uh, this young man's going to play the pipe organ. And man, did he play the pipe organ. <laughs> it became a transcendent moment where he was literally jumping around on that stool up and down and pulling knobs everywhere, and, and it was amazing. You know, when somebody is... Uh, totally, like we said before, totally into their gifting. I think he was playing Bach's uh, Toccata and Fugue, which I know you've heard. Uh, You might not be able to bring up the tune in your mind, but it's that glorious, uh, crazy, loud organ piece. And so this young man played it. Jesus was pulling out all the stops. And when the Pharisees tried to shut the The praise is down. He said, you know, tell your disciples to be quiet. Jesus said, even if they stopped, the very stones would cry out. And again, later in Scripture, we believers are called living stones, being built into a spiritual house. And just a few verses later, that we are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, that we may declare the excellencies of Him who has called us out of darkness into His marvelous light. Jesus was openly declaring that He was the Christ, the Messiah, the King of kings, and the only Son of God. He was pulling out all the stops. Fourth, Jesus, the Lamb of God, was being offered for sin. You might remember that this day we are studying was the 10th day of Nisan on the Hebrew calendar. The first God in Exodus 12 said, this will be the first month of the year for you. And on the 10th day, you will take a lamb into your house. And on the 14th day, you will sacrifice that lamb and spread the blood on the doorposts and lintels of your house that the angel of death might pass over as God executed his plan to release the people from captivity in Egypt. Um, Some commentators said that the lamb was actually taken into the house as a pet for, for those four days. Now, I don't know where that comes from. I don't know if it's true. But uh, I wondered if it, was, if it was true. I wondered what the purpose would be. And I wondered if the purpose might be so that your heart becomes a little bit attached to this sheep so that when it's sacrificed, you realize that there's a cost. That there's a cost for your sin. Um, I happen to have a sheep expert in my family named Risa. She's, uh, she works with sheep every year with uh, FFA, Future Farmers of America, where she takes the sheep and raises it for most of the year and trains it and shows it, and I said... I said, Risa, do you get attached to the sheep? And she said, oh yes, I do. It's very hard to let them go. And I said, they're pretty dumb, aren't they? And she said, oh yeah, they're, they've only got the, a brain the size of a walnut. And um, I said, well, why do, you, why do you kind of fall in love with them? And she said, well, they're, they're like a dog with brain damage. Now, I'm not comparing that to Jesus, but but the point is, um, our sins cost something, amen? And in this case, they were costing our Lord and Savior. Uh, Remember the words of John the Baptist as he saw Jesus coming to be baptized at the beginning of Jesus' public ministry. What did he say? Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Wow. The impeccable timing of the Lamb of God, Jesus, coming into the house of God and the city of God, Jerusalem, was no simple coincidence or accident in the matter of timing. It was the tenth day of Nisan when the Lamb would be brought in the house. I want to read a little bit from Hebrews, just uh, three verses that talk about this permanent sacrifice of our Lord. For the law, since it has only a shadow of the good things to come and not the very form of things, can never by the same sacrifices year by year, which they offer continually, make perfect those who draw near. But he, Jesus, having offered one sacrifice for sins for all time, sat down at the right hand of God. For by one offering, he has perfected for all time those who are sanctified. The Lamb of God was being offered for our sins to the world. As we continue to look past the veil The fifth thing we see is the nature of God's kingdom on display. He rode in on a donkey, a symbol of peace and humility, calm and rest. Contrast that with the current images in your mind of the kingdoms of this world we see on TV. Of Russia, of the Ukrainians fighting for their lives, the rubble of bombed over cities, Refugees weeping and traumatized. The prediction of war for years here yet to come. And our hearts break for peace, don't they? And we're not even in the midst of it. We're just standing on the sideline. And yet our hearts break for peace. It was a cult of peace that Jesus rode into Jerusalem on. And in Mark 11, verse 2, in Mark's version of this event, he adds an interesting line. He says, it was a colt on which no one had ever sat. What's the significance of that, if any? I, I can't be certain, but my sense is that there was a message there that here was something sacred, here was something pure. This cult had a divine purpose to carry a divine Messiah. Don't our hearts yearn these days for something clean, something pure, something holy. Everything is polluted in our world. Everything is polluted. Movies, politics, sports, our, our institutions, our leaders, uh, everything seems and is, in fact, corrupt and dirty and foul and evil. Except Jesus. Except Jesus, our Messiah, riding in on a colt, which, upon which had never had anyone sit. I love Psalm 19, starting in verse 7, that says, The law of the Lord is perfect. Let this just wash over you. The law of the Lord is perfect, restoring the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. And the judgments of the Lord are true. They are righteous altogether. These are more desirable than gold, yes, than much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey and the drippings of the honeycomb. The nature of God's kingdom was on display that day. We're getting close to the end now if you're getting tired. But with the veil pulled back, we witness the unstoppable plan of God. Excuse me, this picture was meant to go with uh, the mention of Ukraine. And this one with the longing for something pure, something clean. But here we see the unstoppable plan of God. And in the Gospel of John, he has a little different emphasis. His version of this event is very short, but what he adds is that the religious leaders and the Pharisees' reaction to this day was not only frustration but a sense of powerlessness uh, in the face of God's overwhelming plan. I love these guys representing that idea. The first guy looks angry as can be. The second guy looks uh, just stricken with worry. I love the third guy. He's just kind of checked out and says, I need a smoke. And the last guy is like, what are you doing? Don't you realize what's happening? these Pharisees threw up their hands in effect and said to one another, you see that we are not doing any good. Look for yourself. The world has gone after Him. Hallelujah, we say. Hallelujah, let it be, Lord, that the world goes after You. We look forward to that day when every knee shall bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is the Lord. Hallelujah to the glory of the Father. We think of the Hallelujah Chorus singing, the kingdom of this world has become the kingdom of our Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. Amen. Now, some of you have been waiting for that word, that magic word at the end of a sermon. Finally. We get a glimpse in this transcendent story, event of the broken heart of God over those who reject him. Let me read again that when he approached, he saw the city and he wept over it, saying, If you had known in this day, even you, the things which make for peace, but now they've been hidden from your eyes because you did not recognize the time of your visitation. Jesus only wept, or at least it was only recorded two times that I'm aware of in the recorded scriptures at the death of Lazarus. Actually, it was over watching Mary and Martha weep at the death of Lazarus, and he was moved with compassion. But also here, as he knew many people would reject his lordship, God's heart breaks over sinners who will not believe in him. And so there's a critical decision to be made. Can we look through the eyes of the triumphal entry and see this transcendent moment for what it is, or will we be asleep in the pew? Oh, I've heard that before. Will we accept or reject him on the day of his triumphal entry into our hearts, on the day of his visitation? He says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and dine with him and he with me. And then Romans 10, 9 and 10. If we confess Jesus is Lord and believe in our hearts that God raised him from the dead, we shall be saved. For with the heart man believes, resulting in righteousness, and with the mouth he confesses resulting in salvation. And then Paul wrote, now is the acceptable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. And so one final question, have you allowed Jesus Christ to make his triumphal entry into your heart? Have you publicly made him your Lord and Savior forever? Would you bow your heads with me? I want to give anyone here who has never had a chance to, maybe you've believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, but you've never had a chance to just do something public to say, oh God, I receive you as my Lord and Savior. I am laying my identity beneath your feet and I want to take on your identity and be 150% yours, Lord, for the rest of my life. I, I want to ask you, if, if that is your heart, uh, I want to ask you just to stand where you are. You're not making a statement to me or to anybody except to the Lord. I want to stand for the first time and say, I belong to Jesus Christ Hallelujah. Anyone here want to do that? Thank you. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. This doesn't mean that you don't know the Lord. It just means you're standing and saying, I have never had a chance to publicly uh, express that I belong to you, Lord. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for those who are standing. The Lord sees you. And He is rejoicing. And then those of us who have had that chance, but man, we'd like to just do it again. We'd like to just rejoice that we have received Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. I want to invite you to stand too, and we'll pray together um, for this week, this Holy Week, um, and for more transcendent moments where we stand between heaven and earth and we serve you more fully, Lord. Thank you, Father. Father, you see us standing wanting to make a public declaration, Lord, that we belong to you, that we are your chosen race, your holy priesthood, a chosen nation a people for your own possession lord we want greater freedom and liberty and lack of fear to uh, declare the excellency that has called us out of darkness into his marvelous light oh god set us fire with your love and your passion for people and for the need to be reconciled to god Father, we thank you for the transcendent moments you've given us, the ones we thought of as we looked at those slides. For those who maybe haven't experienced that yet, we pray that you would bless them, Lord, with such such an event, such an experience. But we do cling, Lord, to your big story and the transcendent moment of the triumphal entry where, Lord, you pulled out all the stops. And uh, we just pray we would remember this moment, remember this message, remember this meaning, uh, and go forth with courage and strength and grace, unafraid of anything that the enemy or life might throw at us. We love you, Lord. We bless you. We just declare, Lord, that you are still a miracle-working And if anyone needs a touch of healing, Father, we pray for spontaneous healings, spontaneous deliverance, spontaneous moves of your Holy Spirit in Jesus' powerful name, the name that is above every name on heaven and earth. We just can't thank you enough, Lord, and we bless you for this moment, this transcendent moment. In Jesus' name, hallelujah and amen. Amen. You can be seated.